So Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 7, but we'll read down verse 1 all the way to 7 just for your hearing because I know we haven't been here. But 7 will be the verse where we'll take our message, if you will. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are mighty. You are awesome, God. Oh, Lord, it's been just a marvelous time, Lord, in just prayer, talking to you, seeing you through your word, God. You've just been opening my eyes, Lord, not even allowing me to sleep, God, but just to see your glory, God. I pray that, Lord, you do that same thing in my brothers and sisters today, Lord God. Reveal your glories, reveal your truth, God, that they may fall even more and more in love with you, who you are. To see the grace that has come their way through the redemption that is in Jesus. I ask that you, God, um, just, just dwell in the midst, Lord God. Any people with distractions and thoughts, God, will you move that, Lord? Draw your attention, their attention to your word, God. Decrease me, God. Increase yourself, your word. Whatever I don't make clear, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit you make clear. Thank you, God. Amen. So we're in Ephesians chapter 1, and um, we're in verse 7. And today, the, the topic, if you will, the theme of today's word is redemption. Redemption, right? Today, Paul brings us to the subject of redemption. And here in America, we, we like redemption, right? We love redemption in America. We love I guess you would say we like redemption for certain populations, right? Because some of you guys know that one of my concerns um, in America, or one of the burdens that God has placed on me is that I have a concern for ex-felons. Um, because there's little to no redemption institutionally in America for people who've committed crimes, who have done stuff. So that's one of the passions or the, 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 the burdens on my heart. It's that we see true redemption happening all over this country and not just for certain groups. But outside of that population and Kanye, right, because there's Christians who don't want to see Kanye West get a redemption. Um, outside of that, for the most part, America, we love redemption. We like redemption stories. We love to hear of the person or the celebrity who fell hard into drugs lost everything but made their way back into the spotlight we like that here in america because we say this person pulled themselves up by their what bootstraps well that is a type of redemption that's a that's a active type of redemption because you're playing a role in that type of redemption but the redemption that we will discuss today is an eternal redemption and it's more passive it's a redemption that happens to you by god's grace you really have no part in this. This is something that God is doing in you and through you. So that is the redemption that we will look at today, that eternal redemption. That is a work of God's grace. So let's read the text today and we'll dig into it. I'm going to start in just verse one because I know we haven't been here in a couple of weeks, just kind of refreshing you. And we'll go down to seven, which is our main text. And the word of God reads, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy, 
Sorry, I had to look down. That we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention or good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Here's our key text. In him, we have redemption. Talking about Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. I'm just going to eight, which he lavished on us. I'm going to stop there. Which he lavished on us. That's where we'll take the message from today here. Now before we, we, we jump into this text, I kind of want to bring us to a primer text, if you will, to kind of get our hearts right in and prepared for what we're going to see here in Ephesians 7. Because um, when I'm reading Ephesians 7 and it's, and it's talking about redemption, I can't help but to think of this woman that I so admire in the scripture. One of the women that I so admire in the scripture in the scriptures is the, the sinful woman or the immoral woman of Luke 7. I, I, I so admire this woman. I have like this, this godly jealousy. Even I know it's probably not a word, right? But for this woman, because of the grace of God that was shown to this woman. Because I, I remember at the height of my sinful living, I was not even aware sometimes of the sins that I was doing. Yes, in the beginning it, it bothered me, but it came to a point where it was just like my second nature. I just did the acts. I, I stopped even feeling guilty and even recognizing what I'm doing or what I was doing. But we see with this woman, by the grace of God, the sinful woman in Luke 7, God allows her to feel the weight of her sin. He allows her to feel the weight of her sin and not only to feel the weight of her sin but to acknowledge that weight as sin which is an important point. To acknowledge the weight as sin, that's an important point. It's an important point because of this. Many times in society, matter of fact, I, I, I want to bring you this point here. Before I get to that point, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I, I want to bring you why I say it's an important point that she recognized the weight of her sin. And it's, it's the verse of John 3, 36, which brings me to the point I'm trying to go. In John 3, 36, Jesus says this. He says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides or remains on him. And from that text, we as believers, we, we understand that that there is a weight and that there is a wrath that abides on a person who has not been reconciled to God. We understand that. We understand that, that that weight that we feel, that that pressure that, that comes from our brokenness in our relationship with God, it comes from a weight of sin. But the world doesn't understand that weight to be that. The world attributes the weight of sin or the wrath of God that abides on a person. They often attribute it to other things such as biological issues. So they're going to prescribe to you a drug or they say, go take this drug, go take this drink. Or, or maybe you just need to eat better or maybe go see this therapist or, or maybe you need to exercise better. And then you'll feel more alive and, and, and more um, vitality in your life. See, the world won't acknowledge that weight as sin. The world won't acknowledge that weight as wrath. See, even God just removing his presence from us, just him removing his presence is a, is a type of wrath. But the sinful woman of Luke 7, she recognized that that weight that was so heavy on her was because of her sin. And she wanted to be forgiven. She wanted to be 
redeemed. And so the sinful woman in Luke 7, if you remember, she, she goes to the house where, where Jesus is. Jesus is dining, and she doesn't even say a word. The sinful woman doesn't even say a word. She just falls at the feet of Jesus and begins to just start weeping and weeping. And she begins to, to wash his feet with her hair. She doesn't say anything. See, this sinful woman must have heard the good news that was preached by Jesus. And so when she comes to Jesus, she begins to just fall at his feet because of the weight of her sins is on us. And she knows that Jesus is the one who could take that weight off. And in that interaction with the sinful woman, Jesus says that the reason that this woman is loving much is because she has been forgiven much. So again, this, this sinful woman, she was aware of the weight of her sins. She was aware of what her sins had done to her relationship with God. And she wanted forgiveness. She wanted redemption. And she got it. She wanted redemption. She wanted her sins forgiven. And she got it. And notice this about the sinful woman of Luke 7. This woman did not know the great lengths that Jesus would go to to bring her this redemption. Because remember, this was early on in Jesus' uh, ministry. She did not know that Jesus would go and get spit on as he walked up to the cross. She did not know that Jesus was going to be whipped and beaten for her sins that she so wanted forgiveness for. She did not know that Jesus was going to be nailed to a cross for her sins. She did not know that Jesus was going to be pierced in her side. She did not know that Jesus was going to be resurrected. Three days later, she did not know. She did not, not have all of that knowledge that we had about Jesus. But the little that she did know, the little that she did know about Jesus and redemption or the forgiveness of her sins through him, guess what? That she believed. See, she never heard a great YouTube sermon from her favorite preacher. She never went to a Bible conference. She had never gone to a Bible college. She was a woman who heard Jesus or heard someone tell her about Jesus. And she took Jesus at his word. She believed that in Jesus, her sins could be forgiven. She believed that her sins were real. But she believed that through Jesus, she could have redemption and forgiveness. Which one tells us that you don't need a whole bunch of theology to be saved. This woman, guess what? She never heard of John Calvin. This woman never heard of Reformed theology or, or Pentecostalism. That's the stuff we later created to divide. Makes me think of like the, some of the, the ex-slaves, the ex-African, uh, not ex-slave, but the, the slaves that came into America who had little literacy. They didn't know anything. They didn't have any deep theology, but what they knew about Jesus, they believed. So that sinful woman of Luke 7, that woman, she had the right, right belief about her sin. She had the right belief about Jesus. She had the right perspective on her sin. She had the right perspective on redemption. She wanted her sins to be forgiven. She wanted to be made right with God. Now I said all of that to bring us back to Ephesians 1.7. I said all of that so that when we look at Ephesians 1.7, it is not a verse that we just breeze by. 
See, myself and like some of you, we will often go to the scriptures, scriptures like Ephesians 1, 7, and we'll just breeze right by it. Yes, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Yep, now on to verse 8. See, we, we often breeze by these verses of the likes of verse 7. But you must understand, it was the verses like the likes of verse 7 in Ephesians that brought the sinful woman to the feet of Jesus. It was her redemption that she wanted. It was her sins forgiven that she wanted. That's what she came for. She came for the Ephesians 7 type verses to hear her sins forgiven. So when we come to Ephesians 7 here, along with the verse that led up to Ephesians 7, these are highlights that Paul is showing that it's to, to bring the believers to dead in their tracks to begin to worship God. That is what Paul is doing. If you remember the context of this letter, Paul starts off in verse 3 by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember that word, it's talking about praise. He's showing you why God is blessed and why he is to be praised. And so now from verse 3 to 7, he's given the highlights of the grace of God. He shows how when we looked at in verse 3, how all spiritual blessings God has given us through Jesus. That's a highlight. He, he shows in verse 4 how God has chosen us from the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. And then in the following verse, he shows us how we can get a new name and become sons and daughters of God by his sovereign will and predestining us to that position. See, Paul is showing us these verses as highlights. Paul is showing us that these verses should bring you to the point of praise. That is why he goes there in verse 6. He says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. The highlights that Paul is showing you about God is supposed to bring you to a place of worship. Fireworks are supposed to go off when you get to verse 6 and 7 as you go and you consider all of the grace of God that has come your way and him choosing you from the foundation of the world. Fireworks are supposed to go off when we read Ephesians 1. It's not something you just breeze by and go on to the next verse. Ephesians 1 is a weighty chapter because in it, Paul is showing you all the glories of God, all the grace has, that has come your way. And he's showing you that so he will bring you to the place of praise and worship. So now here in E7, Paul is going to take us to redemption. He's going to teach us about redemption this redemption that we have in Christ. Now, if you've read through the Old Testament, some of us are saying, what is redemption, right? We, we've heard it in society. We heard people speak about it. But the question may be, what is redemption? Now, if you've read the Old Testament, you've probably seen this word redemption used a lot, particularly in Leviticus 25. You, there's a whole chapter on redemption. And in the Levitical law, there was, this, there was something known as a redemption right. You ever heard that term, redemption right? This is Leviticus 25. In the Old Testament, if, if, for example, if, if a man became poor and he had some land, he may be on hard times, just like some of us, and he would sell that land. But if he sold that land, he had something known as redemption rights. Redemption rights meant that even though he lost this land or he had to sell this land, if he had enough money to buy it back, he would have the right to actually get it back and reclaim it. That was known as redemption rights. That was his right, that he can go, even though he had lost his property, that property can now be bought back and be his possession again. He had the redemption rights. And if this person never had the money to go and buy the property back, then the next of kin, the redemption rights would go to him 
And the next of kin could go and redeem the property for him and bring the property back into the family name. And that next of kin would then be the redeemer. Why? Because he's going and he's bringing this property that was lost, that was sold back to the family in the family's name. And so the relative would be the redeemer. Why? Because he's going to get something that was lost, that was sold, and he's bringing it back to where it was before. So that relative is known as the redeemer. So that is one way that redemption is, is used in the Psalms. It's to signify the loss of property that is now that was lost and is now found and back to its rightful owner. That's redemption. Now another way how redemption is used in the Old Testament, redemption is used to signify the bondage that Israel or a person was in and that God delivers them from. So it's, it's often used to describe how God is delivering Israel or a person from bondage or slavery. And a great example of that is Psalm 69. Turn with me there. I want to show you this. Psalm 69. We're not going to read the whole thing. I just want to show you a few verses. This is a Psalm of David. So let's just look at verse 1 through 3, and then we'll look at verse 16 to 18. Psalm 69. And we'll see how redemption is used here. The word of God reads this. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. He's speaking metaphorically, not literally. I am sunk deep. I am sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. Many of us have been there in that pit where we feel like our feet are stuck in the mud, in the mire. This is David describing his situation that he's in right now. He says, I've come into deep waters, and the floods overflow me. So now he's describing a situation where it feels like the waters is coming over his head, like life is just really, really bad. His, his situation is really rough. And he says, I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. So David is in a really tough situation. He's been crying all night. He said his throat is tired. He's just giving out tears. He's crying out to God. He, he's in a, a really rough situation where he describes it as if a, a flood is coming over him and he's about to drown. And, and some of us, we felt like that in life, right? There have been times where the situation of God is so dark where it feels like, God, I'm, I'm drowning here. God, 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 where are you? Things are just getting really rough, Lord God. Do you see me here flapping my arms, God? I'm, I'm trying to get out of this. And so David is describing this situation where he says, I, I'm stuck in the mire. I can't move. I'm in, I'm in like quicksand. I, I, my situation is bad, God. So that is what David is describing here. He's in this tough situation. And look, you know when your situation is bad, when you have drunkards making songs about you. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, those who sit in the gate talk about me. I am the song of the drunkards. Everybody knows what's happening with David. Everybody knows what happened with the psalmist here. Even the drunkards. It's so bad that even the drunkards are looking down and making songs about him. That's how you, you, you know it's bad when the drunkards are talking about you. So, so that's what's happening here. The situation, what's happening with him, it's, it's really bad. And so he goes to... Verse 16, while we go to verse 16, look what the word of God says. Well, I'm going to start in 15. He says, may the flood of water not overflow me, nor the deep, the deep swallow me up, nor the pit shut its mouth on me. 
He says, answer me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. According to the greatness of your compassion, turn to me. 17, do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. Here goes the verse what I was getting to. Verse 18, look what he says. Oh, draw near to my soul and redeem it. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Ransom me because of my enemy. So what is the psalmist saying here? He wants God to go and deliver him. And he wants God to pay his ransom to set him free. See, when he says redeem, he, he's acknowledging that he does not have the power in himself to set himself free. So he needs a redeemer. He needs somebody stronger than him, more powerful than him, with more authority than him to go and rescue him, to take him out of that situation. And he says redemption. That's how he describes it as redemption. So David is wanting redemption here. He wants the Lord to go and pay his price, to pay his ransom, that he may be set free. He says he wants redemption. He wants his soul redeemed. I want to show you another place where we see redemption being used. Psalms 49. Go to Psalms 49. And look at verse... Five through nine, I'm going to read it. The word of God reads, Why should I fear in days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surround me, even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? Look what he says here. No man can by any means what redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. Verse eight. For the redemption of his soul is costly and he should cease trying forever that he should live on eternally that he should not undergo decay. He said for the redemption of his soul is costly and he should cease trying meaning you don't have enough to pay God for redemption. You, you, you can't pay off God for your soul. That's something you don't have enough in your bank account to redeem your soul. You don't have enough goodwill to go and redeem your soul. The psalmist is saying, so stop trying. So it's using redemption here again to show that the redemption of the soul requires a redeemer with the ability to redeem. See, these psalms... They help us to understand how Paul is using this word redemption here in the New Testament. Because remember, Paul is a Jew. So this word redemption is truly the best word to describe the grace of God that Paul is describing in Ephesians 1.7. Because in Ephesians 1.7, the redemption implies, again, that man does not have the ability or the resources in himself to redeem himself against God. Why? As the psalmist said, the cost of his soul is too high. It's too costly. See, there is nothing that you and I can do to remove the stain of sin. There's nothing that you and I can do. It's too costly. We don't have enough. There, there's no effort. There is no good work that you and I can do to redeem ourselves. Redemption implies that you're at the mercy of another who has the means and the ability to do something that you can't do. See, man can do many things. 
We have created vessels that allow us to go to the moon. We have created vessels that allow us to go to the deepest parts of the sea. We have created cars and airplanes. We have phones now where you can see other people on, on the other side of the world. We have created cool gadgets that, that make life bearable in this fallen world. But there's one thing that man can't do. He can't erase his sins against God. He can't redeem himself. When it comes to sin, you need a redeemer. You need redemption. It's nothing, my brother or sister, that you can do within yourself. Now, there are times in the Bible, let me get there. There are times in the Bible when the Bible is vague. And here, let me get to Ephesians. Again, there are times in the Bible when we're reading the Bible, right? There are times when we're reading the Bible and the Bible is pretty vague. And if you're like me, you're sin in your mind. At least me, I'm like, I'm like, Lord, I wish you could have been a little bit more specific here, right? <laughs> I, I wish you could have called out this specific issue that I'm dealing with in this text, God, because I'm not sure how to apply this to my life. I know I'm not the only one, right? There's times where you're reading the Bible and it's just very vague and you're just like, couldn't you just be a little bit more specific? Couldn't you just, just say this one word so I can know I can go and apply this, this verse to my life? But then there are, there are other times when we read the Bible and it's vague. And I'm thankful for the vagueness. And today in Ephesians 7, 1, 7, it's a verse that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for the vagueness. And what I mean by that is, in Ephesians 7, the Apostle Paul is vague and general in describing the types of sin that Jesus' blood redeems us from. This is good news if you, if you know where I'm going. Paul is vague in describing the types of sin and trespasses that Jesus' blood redeems us from. Look what he says in 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. He says trespasses are sins. I'm happy that Paul here is, is general and vague because if he was more specific, then maybe, guess what? Paul may miss one of my sins. <laughs> That's what I think. Maybe he would have he missed one of mine. But, but Paul says trespasses and sins, which is, which is vague in general, meaning this. And this is very important, meaning this, that Christ's blood not only redeems us from the piece of candy that we stole as a kid, but for the virginity that we stole. See, it covers all things. Or for the abortions that we had or encouraged uh, young ladies to have. See, Christ's blood not only redeems us from the little lie we told, but from the drugs that we use and, and the drug dealing or our drunken nights or our slanderous mouth or adulteries and fornication or homosexual engagements or fornication, all those things. See, he says our trespasses and sins, that, that's vague in general. That means that it covers all sins. And why am I calling out the specific sins? Because oftentimes in church, we only confess the safe sins in church. And I want you to see that because of the grace and mercy of God, there is true redemption for whatever sin you have done. The power of the cross, the blood of Jesus, that runs deep. 
through faith and repentance in Christ, you can be forgiven. It doesn't matter what the sin is. His blood runs deep. You can imagine, think about this. Paul is writing to the Ephesians. Who are the Ephesians? They are largely Gentiles. These are Gentiles who prior to hearing the gospel preached by Paul, they were all engaged in idol worship. Worshiping false idols. Living in the ways of the world. Living according to their flesh. Doing Lord knows what. Paul describes even some of their sins in Ephesians 4. Or you can go to Acts 19 where you see the Ephesians. Some of them were um, involved in magic. And not the magic of, of pulling a, a rabbit out of a hat, but I'm talking about that, 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 that dark voodoo witchcraft magic. When they heard the gospel, they went and they gave all their magic up. They burned it. See, they were all just like us. They had a past. And just like Satan tries to use your past to go and guilt you and convict you, I'm sure that Satan was doing the same thing with these Ephesians. Like, yeah, y'all used to worship Diana. Yeah, y'all used to do that magic over there. Yeah, you used to be involved with those temple prostitutes. See, Satan was doing the same guilt-tempting thing that he does to us. But brothers and sisters, I'm so happy that Paul, when he writes this letter, he reminds him of the gospel. He reminds him of the redemption that is in the gospel, that through Jesus' blood, we can be forgiven of all sins. So you can imagine the Ephesians receiving this letter and getting encouraged by it. And that's the same thing for you, my brothers and sisters. You need to encourage yourself. When Satan comes and re reminds you of your past and reminds you of the sins that you have done and reminds you of all your committed acts, you remind him of your redemption that is found in the blood of Jesus. You remind him of the blood of the Lamb. Because that's what Paul is doing here. He's telling them that they have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, just like in the Old Testament, the redemption rights had a price, right? Redemption wasn't free. If you lost the land, you would have to go and buy it back with money. And the same thing with our redemption. Our redemption came at a cost. And we see what that cost is. That cost is the blood of Jesus. Now, I love what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say that we have redemption through blood. Do you notice that in the text? It's not that we have redemption through blood, but at least in my Bible, it says that we have redemption in his blood. Meaning a particular person. Amen. Meaning that the, the blood of Buddha can't redeem you. Amen. Meaning that the, that the blood of Muhammad can't redeem you. It, it is only the blood of Jesus that can redeem. So it's, it's his blood. And why the blood of Jesus? Why? Because the blood of Jesus is tied to the life of Jesus. See, in, in the Old Testament, when you would atone for sins, you would bring the blood of an animal. So, for example, in Leviticus 17.11, the Word of God says this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonements for your sins. So the animals that would come, it was their blood that would make atonement for sins. But you must understand that the blood of the animal, that animal had to be spotless. It couldn't just be any old animal, but that animal had to be spotless and unblemished, which signifies the holy and perfect life. See, Jesus is the only one who lived a holy and perfect life, and so it is only through his blood, his life, that the stain of sin can be removed. So that's why it's his blood. 
First Peter makes this clear for us in First Peter 1.18 where he says this, You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But look what Peter says, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that redeems us. It's the blood of Christ that sets us free. That's why we sang that song. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood. It's, it's the blood of Jesus that sets you free. My brothers and sisters, when you read Ephesians, are you seeing the passive nature of this redemption? Are you seeing the passive nature of your salvation? Notice we're not playing a role in any of this. Just go back. Look at Ephesians 3. It's God who bestows on us all spiritual blessings in Christ. Look at verse 4. It's God who sanctifies by choosing us from the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. Verse 5. It is God who gives us a new name by bringing us into his family or adopting us to his family and making us become sons and daughters of God. It's God who redeems and justifies by sending his son to pay the price for our sins. It is Christ who lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. It is Christ who took on the beatings. It is Christ who took on the nails. See, we are the beneficiaries. That is grace, my brothers and sisters. Everything I just listed was everything that God did that was all passive. That was all passive. We didn't get actively involved in this. It was all God's doing by his grace. See, it's all of grace. It's all of grace. God did it. All of grace. And so Paul says in, 11, in verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. It's all grace. Why you are saved. It's all grace why you can now stand holy and righteous before God. Sanctified. That's all grace. It's all grace why you can now be a son and daughter of God. It's not something that you have earned. It's not something that you have worked for. It is something of God's own doing. It's just his benevolence. It's just his love and kindness. It's just him choosing to do it according to the kindness or the good pleasure of his will. It's all of grace. Paul says that God is rich in grace. The riches of his grace. See, it's one thing to be rich in something, right? God is rich in grace. It's one thing to be rich in money and material stuff. It's one thing to be rich in something. It's another thing to be rich in something and always giving it away. See, that's what God is. God is rich in grace. But he's always giving his grace away to his kids. See, 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 God is like that, that, um, like, like that billionaire who, who spoils his kids. You, you know that story of that billionaire who has all this money and is, he just constantly lavishes his kids with, with wealth and material things and those kids are often complaining still like they don't have it all. See, see that's God and we're the bratty, spoiled little kid. God constantly gives us his grace. He constantly gives us more and more. and We're always complaining, saying, God, why I don't have this and, and why I don't have that. Yeah, God has constantly given us grace. That's why Paul says in his text that he has has lavished his grace on us. Lavish means to lay it on thick. That's what it says in verse 8. That's to lay it on thick. That means it is an, an abundance of grace that he has given you as child. Lavished his grace upon you. That is our God. 
God is that billionaire. He owns everything. We are that children. He has lavished his grace upon us. And Romans 5, 2 says that not only has God lavished his grace on us, Romans 5, 2 says that we are standing in grace through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We're standing in grace. Grace. God constantly giving, doing for his children. God constantly showing love and mercy. That's grace. Now, the grace that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 1.7, he's focusing on our eternal redemption. But if you just step back in your life, you'll see that your life is full of God's grace. He just lavishes grace on you. Think about it. Some of you right now, the job that you have right now, you're not qualified for it. You weren't qualified for it, but it was all of God's grace. The businesses that you have that are succeeding, it is not you. It, 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 is, it is all of God's grace. Even the spouse that we have, some of us know you don't deserve him or her. But that was, that was all of God's grace. The, the house that you live in is all of God's grace. The, the car that you drive, that is all of God's grace. See, grace something that God gives constantly. It's something that God gives to us. You can keep going and on. You can talk about the gift that Christ has given to the church by his grace. Ephesians 4, 7. I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself in chapter 4. But the word of God, or Paul says this, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then Paul goes on to describe that gift as being the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teacher. He said that's the gift that God gives. That's the gift that Christ gives by his grace. You can go on to 1 Corinthians 12 and you can read about the different gifts that we have that God has given us by his grace. See, grace is what you're standing in, my brother or sister. Grace is what God has lavished on you. Now why again is Paul pointing out all of this grace? To bring you to praise. To show you why the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is blessed. Paul is giving you reason to praise God. That's what Ephesians 7 is showing us. That's what Paul is showing us in verses 3 through 7. He's showing us the highlights of God's grace again to bring you to praise. Your redemption, my brothers and sister, the forgiveness of your sins, the blood of Jesus that now covers you. You must worship God for that. That's something, my brothers and sisters, that has to draw you to your knees to say hallelujah. Praise God that I am redeemed, that I didn't have the power and the ability in myself, but through God's grace and mercy came and redeemed me. Like David said, I was in the pit. David said he was in the pit. He was stuck in the mire. Some of you know what that pit feels like. Some of you can still feel the cold of that pit. You, you know the sounds of that pit. You, you remember the depression. You, you remember the lack of life. And then Jesus came in and took you out of the pit. Jesus came in and did something for you that you can't do for yourself. That is redemption. He has redeemed your life from the pit. Now look at you. Look at you now in your right mind. That's all redemption. Look at you now. It's redemption. That's what Jesus has done, and that's where Paul is bringing us in. Ephesians 1.7. He says, in him we have redemption 
through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, verse eight, yes, I went to eight, which he lavished on us. Now we're gonna stop here, but Paul doesn't stop here with grace. Paul keeps going on and on, and as you will see next week, we're gonna look at the other grace that Paul brings out, how God lets us in on the mystery of God's will, the will that God has kept in himself from the foundation of the world. Paul shows how God has let that be known to the church. And so that's the grace that we'll look at next week. But today, reflect on redemption. And remember, I, I could have made this verse and given you an action item and said, oh, now you need to do this. No, that's, that's, remember I told you I'm, I'm trying to preach this text as Paul teaches it. I'm not giving you an action item. I'm not saying you need to go do this. I just want you to behold God's glory. I just want you to see God's grace that has already come to you. Marvel on that. When we get the four, we'll get to the things you need to do. Right now, you need to just step back and receive God's grace. Allow yourself to see what God has already done through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are mighty. You have redeemed us. You have given us life. It's your blood that has set us free. It's your blood that has power. Lord Jesus, we stand here in our right minds because your blood has cleansed us. With praise in our mouth, Jesus, because your blood has cleansed us. Thank you for making us sons and daughters of God. We worship you, Lord. You are so good to us. Thank you, my God, my Lord. Amen.